Uh, tot time, if you have a child who is kind of toddler age, preschooler, up to about five or six years old, uh, you can get up now and kind of head over to our back classroom over there, the Martha room, and they will have an age-appropriate lesson. And then one last thing, uh, I will be starting my Sunday school lesson on Judges this week. So if you'd like to dive into the book of Judges together, we'll be doing that during the education hour right after this at 11 o'clock. It's not me preaching through Judges, but it will be me teaching through Judges. It's not a small group, but there will be some discussion elements. So, uh, you know, it's kind of, kind of in the middle. So you, you'll hear a lot from me this morning, and if you want to go hear some more, then you're welcome to do so. So, um, well, hey, church, will you stand with me if you're able? We are going to be in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 to 23, exactly where Pastor Carlos prayed from. It's our text for today, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 to 23. This is Paul writing, and he says, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith, in the Lord Jesus, and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which He has called you, What are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe? According to the working of His great might that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And He put all things under His feet, And gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Father, in your tender mercy, help us to hear from you this morning. And may we be changed because of your grace and mighty work in our lives. I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, church, this morning I wanted to start off by sharing some requests that little children have for Santa Claus. Yes, I know that we are in February, but it's never too early to start thinking about Christmas. So uh, I I stumbled across these things that kids have asked of Santa Claus earlier this week, and so I've I've got five of my favorites. Uh, The first one, you better bring me a pony this year, or there will be consequences. Number two, dear Santa, I want Simba's dad to wake up. Ooh, yeah, yeah. I got a kick out of that one, I'm sorry. Number three, I want a rainbow unicorn that poops ice cream. P.S., I better get it too. I feel like there's a lot of demandingness and for things that uh, aren't going to be happening. Number four, dear Santa Claus, I don't think our baby brother should have presents this year. He is hurting us, and he said you are trash. So think about giving him presents. From a nice boy, Thomas. <laughs> here's, here's the best one. Dear Santa, I think you are a fat man, and I'm not leaving you any cookies, because Mrs. Claus said you're on a diet. You need to stay away from junk food and don't eat too much on your trip around the world. That's why I'm leaving you vegetables this year with ultra-skim milk. I hope you lose some weight, because with all those toys, I start to feel sorry for Dasher, Dancer, Prancer, Vixen, Comet, Cupid, Donner, Blitzen, and Rudolph. I sure hope you brought everything I asked for. So, 
Those are, yeah, some interesting requests from children. There's something, when we see what children ask for, that really reveals deep down what we care about. Children just don't know how to hide it very well. And it all comes out when they talk to Santa Claus. Now, church, we have a heavenly father who is far better than a Santa Claus. Who, you know, Santa Claus who knows if you've been naughty or nice and is watching you all the time and you've got to do enough good things to stay off the naughty list and be on the nice list. But instead, we have a heavenly father who gives us good things out of his graciousness not because we are good, but because He is good. So in light of our Father, our good Heavenly Father, what types of things ought we be asking for when we come to Him in prayer? What do we pray about us? Or what do we pray about, excuse me? Now in what our passage today, it is a prayer. A prayer that Paul has for the Ephesians. It's a great model prayer for us, but I think it's also going to challenge us on how we pray. What are the things that we are bringing before the Lord, and do they reflect what we find here in the Scriptures? Because what do we need? I think what we truly need is a new pair of glasses to view the world. We need a new way of thinking. Apple just released the Apple Vision Pro, and you know, if you've seen it, it looks like that pair of ridiculous goggles that you wear on your face, and it's over, I think, like $3,000, and uh, if you don't know what I'm talking about, count yourself lucky. I don't know how in the world this thing is going to catch on. Maybe it's because it's over $3,000 that it will. I don't know, but what it is, it's kind of this virtual reality that you put on your face, and you can interact with it like having a computer, but also you can do things in the world. It's supposed to be the most amazing, next best thing. But I think what we truly need is for the Lord to put something over our eyes or something over our hearts that helps us to see differently in the world. To give us different apps to view and interact with the world. I think that is how we ought to pray. And so today we're going to see that what we need is new knowledge. And that knowledge brings us new ways of working in the world. All right, let's dive in with our first point today. We need the Lord to open our eyes to know Him more. We need the, the Lord to open our eyes to know Him more. Now, as we read this prayer, we are going to see that there is always more room for growth. You may feel like, well, I know the Lord. Great, amen, I'm glad. But you know what? Let's excel still more. We can always know the Lord more. Now, this prayer that we're going to be looking at is the first of two prayers that we find in Ephesians. We find one here, and then at the end of chapter 3, we find a second one. Two prayers that Paul has for the Ephesians. And this prayer, if you didn't notice, was also pretty much one long sentence. Last week, we had that extremely long sentence from verses 3 to 14, which is pretty much the longest real sentence in the Bible, the longest one being a genealogy. What's the second longest one? the thing we read today. Thank you, Paul, for giving us long sentences that are hard to understand. But ultimately, even though this is a long sentence, there really is, like all sentences, one main subject and verb. And so it'll be easy to kind of see what is Paul actually praying for. Now, before we look at it in particular, I want to ask the question, what is prayer? What is prayer? Is it wishing? 
my kids and I, and, well, and Rox too, she was there, we watched Angels in the Outfield last night, that classic 1994 movie, delightful. But in it, a very young, um, oh, I'm blanking on the actor's name, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, did I get it right? Okay, there we go, very young, like boy age, prays to God that the angels would win the pennant so that he would have a family again. Now, when you see him pray, you realize that he's more wishing. He's not praying to the God of the universe who ordains all things and has love for his children. No, he kind of offers up a wish, and we see this little star blink. It's like, yeah, that's not prayer. That's wishing. What is prayer? Christian prayer is talking with God, the God of the universe. It can be adoration and praise. It can be confession. It can be thanksgiving, and it can be requests. It can also just be literally telling God about your day. That is prayer. We're sitting and spending time with Him. Now, I want to ask you, how would you characterize your prayers? If you could break down the different things that you pray for on a regular basis, what would that be? Is it a list of things you want? Is it for you, for others? Is it adoration? What is it that you pray for? Well, today's prayer, again, it'll challenge us. So, let's look at the verses itself, starting in verse 15. For this reason, what reason? Well, everything he just said, all the blessings we have in God, but then also because he's heard of their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and their love toward all the saints, in essence, because they are believers, what does he do? I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. He doesn't cease. Now, this doesn't mean that literally every moment of Paul's day is he's, he's sitting on his knees praying. No, but he has an attitude of prayer. And when he prays, he's bringing the requests for the Ephesians before the Lord. He is thinking about them. He has a posture, an internal posture of communing with God. He's giving thanks and he's presenting requests on their behalf. So, what exactly is he praying for? Verse 17. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may do this. May give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. That's the main thing. And then verse 18 starts kind of a qualifier of that or a result of that. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. That's what he's praying for that they would have, that they would receive from God, the Father, the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. Ultimately, that they would have knowledge of God. Look at what He doesn't pray for. He doesn't pray for health, wealth, freedom, for, from, for, freedom from persecution, successful business endeavors, he doesn't pray for any of that. Now, that doesn't mean it's wrong to pray for those things. But of all the things that Paul could have prayed for, in a world that was hostile to Christians, he doesn't pray for what you would expect. He prays that they would know God better. In essence, that their, the eyes of their hearts would be enlightened. They would see things differently. That's what Paul prays for. Now, he says that they, he wants them to receive the spirit of the wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. That's what he wants God to give them. What spirit exactly are we talking about? Well, 
I think absolutely it's the Holy Spirit. And again, we have a picture of the Trinity kind of hiding in plain sight. We have God the Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit all here together in this one verse. Ephesians is full of the Trinity. But don't we already have the Holy Spirit? After all, back in verse 14, we saw that we, are, we have the Holy Spirit. He's the guarantee of our inheritance. And in verse 13, he seals us. So how can Paul say here in verse 17 that he wants the Father to give us the Spirit? Well, ultimately, he's not saying he wants them to receive the Spirit in the sense that they are receiving something that they don't have, but instead that they would receive the Spirit or that he would do something particular. They would receive him in a particular way that they don't have now, that they would get an understanding, that the Spirit would work in their heart, shining lights in their heart, revealing to them something that they do not know. Specifically, having this wisdom and revelation. Wisdom can also be translated insight. It's right understanding of the way things are. Revelation, this is the same word for the book of Revelation, and it means a revealing where something has been hidden and is made known. It doesn't refer to knowledge that you can find out via kind of scientific inquiry or doing a lot of digging or kind of thinking hard about something. No, it's the type of knowledge that has to be revealed. A light has to be turned on. It's knowledge that's already there, but someone has to show it to you. That's what it means to reveal. And so Paul is saying, I want something to be revealed to you. And what is that? Knowledge of God. Paul wants them to know God, having the eyes of their hearts enlightened. The default means that we naturally don't have enlightened hearts that we need to see. We need God to show us. We need the Lord, the Lord to open our eyes to know Him more. That, in its essence, is what Paul prays for here. And this is a good thing. As we gaze upon who God is, and we understand who He is more, that will affect everything in our lives. And praise God for this grace, because this is grace that he would care enough to say, yeah, I want you to know me more. People that don't naturally seek him out. And he says, yeah, I know, but I have compassion for you and I want you to know me. Now, one thing I want to challenge us on. Oftentimes, we're invited to pray for people and we don't because we say, well, I don't really know what to pray for for them. What Paul prays here for the Ephesians is very generic. And yet it's preserved for us in the scriptures. So church, you can pray for the church. You can pray for all people that they would have this. And it would be a good prayer, pleasing to the Lord. This is something our elder team has been praying recently. We've passed two elder meetings. We've been praying for our church. Well, one by name, all of you by name. Uh, but we've been praying this prayer as well as uh, the prayer we find in Ephesians 3 for you. For you. A lot of times we don't know everything that's going in your, on in your life. Yet we know that this is a good thing and it is worth praying. You too can pray this for the church. So, Paul wants the Ephesians to know God. 
We spent a lot of time talking about that because the rest of it is pretty simple. He wants them to know God for, th- for, for three purposes or three ends. So here's the first one. Knowing God results in knowing His hope. Knowing God results in knowing His hope. If knowing God is kind of the Apple Vision Pro that you stick over your face, these are three apps, which again, I've never used this, so I have no idea how apps in this thing would even work, but this would be one of the apps, the hope that God has. And this hope impacts the way that you would be working or moving throughout the world. So let's see this hope. So starting in verse 18, the second half, he says, he wants them to have the spirit of revelation and the knowledge of him. Why? That you may know what is the hope to which he has called you that you may know what is the hope to which he has called us. What is that hope? We need to know that, right? Otherwise, this is pretty meaningless. Well, the dictionary definition of hope is a feeling of expectation and desire for a certain thing to happen. Now, that's a true dictionary definition, but that is not a Christian definition of hope because our hope is not hoping that certain things will happen, But our hope is the emotional response to certain things that will certainly happen. They are things that are going to happen, not, oh, I hope my team wins tonight. We have been called by Jesus. We saw last week how we've been called. We've been called His sons and daughters. We were chosen. We were sealed. We have an inheritance. All of these things. We've been called ultimately from death to life. And Paul is saying, because of that, we have hope. Without hope, we face despair. And oftentimes, despair really is the default mode of the human heart because we see all the terrible things in the world and we despair. In his, in his book, Man's Search for Meeting, author Viktor Frankl, who was a Holocaust survivor, was kind of talking about and thinking and reflecting upon all of the, the, his experiences in the concentration camps. And one of the things that he noticed was that oftentimes in the concentration camps, as people were starving to death, the thing that would kill them was not necessarily the lack of food, although obviously a lack of food will kill you. But he said what was remarkable was that people could go for a long time without adequate food. But when they lost hope, they would quickly die. Hope literally kept people alive in concentration camps. And he noticed that when some people would lose people that they had made relational bonds with or family members or whoever, and they didn't have hope of life with them, soon they would go the same way. They lost hope and they would die. This world is not as it should be. But the message of Christianity is one of hope. We are sinful and separated from God, but God in His mercy and love reached down to us through Jesus Christ. And Jesus died on the cross, the penalty that we owe. We were singing about it this morning. He died for us, paying the price, but He also gives us His life, His alive life, because He rose from the dead, showing that death is not the end and that there will be a resurrection. And for those who believe in Jesus, death is not the end for us. We will have life with Christ for eternity as opposed to eternity in damnation apart from God in hell. 
we have that hope. This is the hope that Paul is talking about. It's the hope of future life with Christ. That's the hope to which we've been called. And Paul says this will change us. And that is why he prays for this for the Ephesians. Church, we need hope. We need hope. The second thing is knowing God results in knowing His inheritance. Knowing God results in knowing His inheritance. This is the second app that we would put in that, those fancy, rich $3,000 goggles over your face. What is it? What's the inheritance? He wants us to know what are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints. This isn't the inheritance that awaits us. This is the inheritance that God has in us. Paul isn't saying here, hey, I want you to be thinking about uh, the place that Christ is preparing for you, although Christ is preparing for a place for us, and there are blissful rewards that we will have in heaven. There are those things, but that's not what Paul is saying here. He's talking about God's love for us. Think about it this way, of a grandfather who's lived a full life and has loved his family well, and he's sitting down at Thanksgiving, and he sees around him all of his children, and he has wonderful relationships with them, and he sees grandchildren with his children. They're all sitting down at the table, delighting in one another as a family, and the grandfather sits there and says, praise be to God, this is my family. The inheritance that Paul is talking about is us being counted as God's family. And that God delights in that. And we get to look forward to that. This is forward-looking, just like the hope that we have. hope you're sensing a theme. Thirdly, this is part of the theme as well, but I'll unpack it. Knowing God results in knowing His power. Knowing His power. What kind of power? immeasurable power immeasurable power he wants them to know what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe immeasurable greatness of his power there's four different words that are used to kind of to talk about power and his work here and in the following verses. Four different words. Paul is like, I want you to know just how incredible this is, so I'm going deep into my bag of synonyms, and we're going to talk about the power that raised Christ from the dead. Church, I've talked about how I love space and astronomy, and I watch far too many YouTube videos about astronomy, not astrology, but astronomy, space. I find it fascinating. The most powerful explosions in the universes or in the universe are it's called gamma ray bursts, GRBs for short. One GRB releases 10 to the 44 joules in just a couple of seconds. You may have no frame of reference for how much energy that is. I don't. That is the amount of energy our sun puts out in its entire 10 billion year lifespan. Like that. Most powerful explosions in the universe, and they're thought to come from a particular type of supernova. That seems like an immeasurable amount of power, does it not? The amount of energy that comes from our sun in a few seconds? But church, I just read a number to you. That is measurable. It's unfathomable, but it's not immeasurable. 
And the power that God has toward us who believe is immeasurable. It is more than the most violent explosion in the entire universe. That is the power that raised Christ from the dead. Paul says he wants us to know the immeasurable power. How can you know something that's immeasurable? But that church is what Paul prays for, the immeasurable power. Now, Paul uses two specific examples of this immeasurable power. The first one is the resurrection, according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. That's the first one, the resurrection. The second one is what we call the session of Christ, the session of Christ. That's the fancy theological term for it. What is that? It's when he, this idea that he is seated, the Lord seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. The idea that Jesus Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father, ruling with all authority. God's power put him there. He raised him from the dead and put him next to him, giving him all authority. That is the Lord's power. If God can do that, what can't He do? Nothing! He can do all things. Now, I want to be very clear what this power is not, because it's tempting to read this passage about the power of God towards us who believe and think, oh yeah, God's going to do all sorts of awesome things in my life that I'm really going to like. He's going to give me that rainbow unicorn that poops ice cream or whatever it was. No! That's not how Paul is using this. It's not power, access to a power that lets us do what we want. It's not magic. Magic is us taking the spiritual realm and trying to manipulate it for our purposes. That's not what Paul is saying here. Instead, he's saying there is a power available to you that is so powerful it raised Jesus from the dead and it will see you through whatever you're going through as well. You too can trust the Lord to raise you from the dead, just as Jesus trusted his Father, saying, I know that he will vindicate me. I know that even if I die, he will raise me from the dead because I am innocent. I can go through all things. That was the heart of Christ. Because of that, he trusted in that. That is the power that we can trust in as well. We can walk through death. When we think about our banner, when we cross that river on our way to the celestial city, that's Pilgrim's Progress. Again, I encourage you all to read it. We can walk through the river of death knowing that there is hope and life on the other side. That is the power that is available to us. It's not for us to do what we want, but it's the power that's available to us to meet exactly what we need. Life. It's power that enables us to trust God, to know that death is not the answer nor the end. But not only does this power bring us through death, this power does things in our lives. It makes us into new people. Paul spends a lot of time talking about this power. Like, talking about the hope got like a phrase. The inheritance got another phrase. Power gets like five verses. It's like Paul, come on, what are you doing? You're just kind of going on and on about this power. This is power that changes us. What would be different in your life if you truly believed that this power was working in your life? 
sometimes you may feel stuck in your walk with Jesus. And you may feel like, Lord, there's no way that this will ever change in my life. Do you believe that this power, the power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand of God the Father, do you believe that that's working in your life? How would your life look different if you believed that? How would it look different? Now, one thing I want to note. In verse 21, we see here that he is seated far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. What is he talking about there? Well, as we see in the rest of Ephesians, Paul seems to be using these words to talk about demonic, spiritual forces of great power and authority. Because it pops up again when he talks about this later, and we'll visit those when we get there. Paul is saying, Jesus has more authority than all of the bad guys out there. Powerful bad guys that are out to get you. He says, that power is at work in your life. How would your life look different if you believed that? That the stuff that comes your way, the harassment you receive from the enemy, or just the things that seem to go wrong in your life, if you believe that Jesus actually indeed had all authority and power over that. Because our Jesus doesn't just have this generic power that's up here unconcerned with us. What kind of power does he have? He has a power that's over us and is interested in us because we are his body. He put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So Jesus has all this power and authority, and we as his church are his body, and so obviously he is going to care for us. He's not some distant ruler in a far-off land who, yeah, has all authority and power, but he doesn't care about what's going on halfway across the world. That's not the king we have. We have the king that we are united with in faith, and we become his body. He is over all things. That includes us. We don't have to fear. Not only do we not have to fear the bad stuff, but it enables us to move forward. Look at what he says. In verse 23, starting in verse 22, he gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So we, some weird way, get to be the fullness of Christ. And what is Christ doing? He's filling all things. In other words, the church is spreading out into the world. The good news of Jesus is going out through us. Church, we get to be the fullness of God filling all things. And because it's His power that is at work, it doesn't matter if we feel powerless. It doesn't matter if we feel insignificant or small or we're like, we, I, I, I can't do that. That's too, too scary to put myself out there to feel awkward. So Jesus He has all authority and can overcome the things that are against us, but he can also overcome our awkwardness. His authority trumps our awkwardness. We can go forward. We can fill the world with the news of Christ. Hope, inheritance, this power, all three of these things are future-looking. They're future-looking. And as we wear them over our eyes, They'll change everything. Now, our default setting, like I said, may be ignorance and blindness. Praise be to God 
that He opens our eyes. And even in this passage, He is opening our eyes to the beauty, the beauty that He cares for us to know Him. Well, church, the message I want you to hear today is not pray better. Church, pray the way you're supposed to pray. That's not the message I want you to hear. I want you to hear this. God wants us to know Him and know what He has in store for us. The hope, the inheritance, the power. All three of those things future-looking. That is what we need. And Paul knows if we know who the Lord is, as we understand Him, that will help us to see the future. Not in some mystical, oh, I can see the future, I'm receiving visions type sense. But no, in that I know that God's got this. Jesus has all authority. So what do we do with all this? One, although I did say this isn't the message of the sermon, I will say let's elevate our prayers. Let's pray this for one another. But secondly, let's be comforted. So let's elevate our prayers. Let's be comforted keeping our eyes on the future, and then thirdly, let's move forward by faith, knowing the hope, the inheritance, and the power. So here's our big idea for today. Know God to know His hope, inheritance, and power. As you know God, you'll know these three things. Let me pray. Father, we thank You that You invite us to know You more. And so, Lord, I pray that for our church, that every single last one of us who is in Christ here this morning that you would grant us in your mercy the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of you. Help us to know you, Father. Help us to know your hope, your inheritance, and your power. Lord, may we be different men and women because we know you. Help us, Lord, to see the world as the way it truly is and the way that you have said it is and not the way that we think. May we know what is true. May we know you. I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.